The biggest thing that I try to do is come in with that curiosity and asking questions. I think it's really easy to fall into the trap of, you know, someone coming to you and saying, here's my situation, what would you do? And, you know, not only maybe ask for more context, but also ask what are the alternatives you thought of? And, you know, what would be the impact if you chose, you know, A versus B? NPS I Love You is a weekly customer success podcast for people who know that CS is about more than just churn and upsells. It's about people. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and my goal with this show is to give you powerful insights that'll improve your life and the lives of your customers. Today, I'm joined by Emily Garza, who's AVP Customer Success at Fastly, which is a fantastic platform to build, secure, and deliver more powerful websites and applications. Emily, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well. Some of my previous episodes, I mean, I go sort of all around. We talk about recruiting, we talk about mental health, we talk about all sorts of stuff. And sometimes I need to be reminded that, you know, I work at a customer success company and uh, customer success is one of my favorite things to talk about. So I'm excited to dig in a little deeper today because I know you're extremely knowledgeable in the area. So I'm wanting to dig in with you on some of the more fun customer success topics that people might not talk about as much or that might need some some updating. Uh, I wanted to ask you about a post that you you put out there recently where you mentioned that happiness wasn't a good metric and that CS teams should be tying success more closely to revenue. I know that at Catalyst, we measure CSM sentiment. We, I know a bunch of our customers use some sort of sentiment happiness analysis. Why don't you think that's a good metric and what do you think is the ideal alternative? Yeah, good question. And when I say that we should stop measuring happiness, I'm not saying that you know customer sentiment isn't valid. I think it's definitely a, a valid factor, right? You you as the CSM, as you're talking to the customer day over day, you kind of get that feeling that some of the data might show, right? Like you are having that actual direct conversation and might pick up some things that are critically important and can actually impact the health. But what I don't think is that, you know, we can say a customer's happy, so everything's good. Like mm. I'm a happy customer because I like interacting with you or, you know, we both cheer for the Broncos or, you know, mm. whatever else. Like there's areas that we can relate on, mm. but when it boils down to it and you say, great, like here's the renewal, you know, spend another 50, a hundred K with my company, us both liking the Broncos, like really isn't going to cut it. So that's the Very idea true. of kind of moving from just that, we have a good relationship to how do we actually drive revenue and make sure that the impact that our tool or offering has is providing business value to the customer. I think that a lot of companies uh, or CSM organizations, when they hear like, oh, you've got to tie to revenue and move away from happiness. I get like a lot of deer in the headlights looks. I get a lot of pushback of like, I chose not to be in sales. Like there's a reason why, but I don't think that you have to be in a sales role to drive revenue. I think that there's a lot of different ways that the CS world is already impacting revenue. The action that we need to take is telling that story, connecting those dots, Mm -hmm. right? So I think about like why CS is formed kind of in five different buckets. So there's onboarding, there's training and enablement, there's revenue growth, churn reduction or renewals, and then increased engagement. In any of those five different buckets, there's ways that you're impacting revenue. Revenue growth, that one's relatively obvious, but if we look at like a training and enablement, 
right? That's looking at how can we strategically engage with our customer and move them from basic use cases to things that are maybe more complex or more customized to their environment. And if you're doing that because you're getting to know your customer better, you're tying something in that's really driving their strategic goals, that's going to increase your ability to renew and um, keep the customer and potentially even grow the customer as you find those mm -hmm. new use cases. So it's not always obvious on kind of the surface level, but I think that there's ways that we can and then should be able to tie all of the CS story back to revenue. That's awesome. I think there's there's a few things I want to dig into that I find really interesting. The first is to to clarify when you say, you know, we should stop looking at happiness or that maybe we still, should still look at it or consider it, but we shouldn't necessarily tie it so strongly into the to a health score. I, I still think it's it's a valid point. I don't know if you would disagree, but to say that people buy from people they like, I would say that you probably have a better chance of renewing a customer where you have a great personal relationship than where you don't. That being said, you know, if we're dividing this into quadrants, the top right is a customer where you have an amazing ROI and you have a great relationship. And mm -hmm. then you can still probably renew a customer that you don't love and they don't love you, but they have a great ROI. So that's sort of our top left box. And then bottom right is, is low ROI, but they like you. And there's those sort of iffy areas where there's some wiggle room. So how do you think about sort of the balance of the importance of relationship building and building rapport and being friends with your customers versus ROI? Or and yeah. ROI, not versus. You're totally right. In an ideal world, we have both, right? They yeah. are getting the business value and they like working with you. But I think at the end of the day, especially depending on the dollar size of the deal uh, mm -hmm. that you're chasing. Friendship only counts so much. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, yeah. if, if it's $10,000 a year, like, eh, maybe I can just get it through because it's not going to impact that overall budget as significantly if it's $100,000. Now I've got to go, you know, justify that to all the different groups and everything else. And you start to get more questions. I think back to an example where I bought an MPS tool and really liked the team, felt really engaged with them, met with head of product and the CEO. I was really well positioned um, with their company. Like they were doing kind of all the check the box stuff. But at the end of the year, I didn't renew with them because they weren't evolving with us. Um, you know, they weren't able to kind of meet where we needed to go next with our use case. Mm -hmm. And yeah, from a dollar perspective, it was like, I'm going to have to get a new tool that can fit this use case. I'm not going to keep two tools to do this. Um, so while we had that great relationship, I wasn't able to, that wasn't enough to, to kind of keep the business. So I do think that the business impact is by and far the first one. And then for sure, if you can also have the relationship, that's even better. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the only way that you can only rely on the relationship is maybe like very small ARR deals where it's just, you're willing to put up with the business pain because it's like not worth it to look at another solution. Yeah. I mean, and, and nobody wants that. I don't think at least, but the, <laughs> uh, would you say it's an interesting example? I think it's a really good, good example because you said one of the, re the reason that it didn't work or the reason that you didn't end up renewing despite a great relationship was that there wasn't alignment around their direction and what they were building and when they were building it and all that. Like because you had this great relationship, I'm assuming, and knowing you, you probably communicated pretty early and consistently like this is where we're going. This is what we need. If we don't get this, then there's going to be a misalignment. Was that the case? Yeah, we had definitely talked about it. And so they they knew 
what our goals were and kind of where we were expecting to evolve to. It was just a smaller company. And like any company, you know, they've got to balance everybody's feedback, right? And the Mm -hmm. stuff that we were asking for wasn't necessarily what either everyone else was asking for or what they were building into the roadmap. So yeah, as an organization, you've got to make that decision of like, are you going to reorganize everything that your product and engineering team is going and working on for this one customer? Or do you kind of say like, hey, that doesn't fit with our company's direction or just not at this time. It puts the CSM in a little bit of a tough situation because, you know, we're incented to want to keep the customer and, you know, help make them successful. But if it comes down to business investment and decisions, sometimes you can't control that. I think, I mean, so the reason I bring that up is because I feel like personally, I'm of the mind that, you know, we should always communicate early and clearly if something's not working out and all these things. But personally, the the contracts that I've turned on or I've, I've canceled them, I find that when I have a great relationship or a good relationship with the provider, I provide that feedback much earlier and much clearer than if I don't, because then I just don't want to talk to them and I'm just going to turn them <laughs> and then not even tell them. But the yeah. ones where I really like the team, usually I'm like, hey, I want to be early with this so you can have an opportunity to save us should you want to and should it fit with your roadmap, like you said, I think yeah, can be absolutely. helpful. You want to stay, right? You're trying to be their yeah. cheerleader and keep, keep them um, on with you. But yeah, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Definitely. The ROI is definitely the, the most important thing above all. And I think I find it's really interesting. You mentioned all these things that CSMs do that impact revenue. Do you, so my follow-up question is then, do you feel like we're not doing a good enough job in our industry of tying what CSMs are doing to revenue to the point where CSMs feel like their only contribution is, did you upsell this customer by how much? Okay, that's your revenue contribution. Absolutely. I think that there's a huge gap in that communication. And I think some of it is even the jargon that we use. So in my opinion, I think we sometimes get stuck in like what I'll call the CS bubble, right? And I was talking Mm -hmm. to someone the other day and they were commenting of, you know, hey, now that CS has, you know, been around for a little bit and we've evolved, like we've got our own terminology. And that's great in some ways because it's, you know, our our function maturing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the way that we talk about things is not necessarily how product talks and absorbs things, how finance talks and absorbs things. So when we come at it as just our terminology and we're not helping people connect the dots, their job and their focus is not always thinking about us. So we have to make it easier for them. Um, And that's where I feel like that gap is, is, you know, we'll report things from our point of view or from CS jargon, but not necessarily take the time and translate that into how it impacts um, some of the other groups or, you know, tying that as directly to other revenue sources. It's something that I see evolving, but I think we need to lean into more. Yeah, I love that point. I think Elon Musk wrote uh, a, an angry letter to all Tesla employees or SpaceX employees, maybe every company. This was a few years ago, basically outlawing acronyms. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's what it was. It was basically like, these are the only cases in which an acronym is acceptable because mm. otherwise you develop this jargon, like you said, that alienates people who are new to the industry or aren't in your department and they'd have no idea what you're talking about. You're, you, it's a great point that we need to all be more conscious of is the language that we use and by learning what language other departments speak, um, not necessarily then catering to their jargon, but figuring out, you know, what our universal company language is, at least so that we can properly communicate our value and what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. One of the hotly contested topics that I love is 
CSM ownership over renewals and upsells. CSM is negotiating with customers, um, you know, whether that creates an adversarial atmosphere between, or relationship, I should say, between the CSM and the customer, or whether it's a problem solver relationship, like how it's all in how you approach it. What are your views on CSM ownership of upsells, renewals, and in particular, negotiation and its impact on the relationship? I'm a fan of having CSM renewal uh, with a couple caveats. So the first caveat is it depends on what your CS team is focused on, right? If your CS team is primarily onboarding and training and enablement, then owning renewals doesn't make sense. Um, right. Because you're not hiring for that skill set, um, it's completely different. It's not your area of focus. I think another one of the caveats is, you know, if you're working with maybe larger companies where that renewal conversation is offloaded, like to a procurement team, so you mm. never interact with this team except for the renewal conversation, then it's a little bit less weird to introduce a new person back on your side, right? Because it's like, right. their new negotiation person, your new negotiation person, great, go for it. But I think in a lot of circumstances, it makes sense for the CSM to, to be involved and really even lead the renewal because you've been kind of that person the whole, throughout that whole year, right? You really mm -hmm. understand the customer, you understand the use case, you've done all of the hard work leading up to it, right? In terms of, uh, handling escalations and doing cadence calls and everything else. So to then say, you know, hey, I'm your trusted day-to-day -day person. To like, let's bring in this stranger. Especially if you explain it that way. It creates more friction, right? Like this yeah. now becomes more of an event because it's like, oh, it's something that I can't handle. So I do think that there's value in, in keeping that. And I also think that if you're doing all of the right work leading up to the renewal, the renewal should be a non-issue, right? Because you're already proving the value the whole time. You've set expectations three to six months ahead of time. You've figured out, you know, how is your business evolving? And are there other products or features that you should be POCing that we should, you know, potentially include in the contract? There, there, there you go with the acronyms. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Proof of concept, testing new products. I feel like if you're doing all that work, not to say negotiation isn't going to happen. Um, any savvy customer is going to do that. Having the CSM own it doesn't need to cause friction in kind of the day-to-day -day relationship because I think it's really just an extension of what they're already doing. I think that's a that's a, a great approach. And I like the two caveats you mentioned because I think, yeah, I mean, every, every pretty much everyone that I've asked the question to, it's always, it depends. But then yeah. in terms of what it depends on, you know, that that changes. I think you explained that clearly. And yeah, I mean, I think it's it's something where we could always use more training. I think depending on how you're how you're screening CSMs. I know, you know, when I was in my first CS role, I had no training on negotiation. I learned a lot from our sales team. I was definitely partnered a lot with our sales team when it came to our strategy for upsells and expansions. But it was challenging, and I was always scared about impacting the the friendly relationship that I had with customers. But I think you make a great point when you say that you know not only skill set aside, what's the message it sends to the customer when you, the person who has been their go-to person for X amount of time, who you've built trust with and rapport with, when you are saying, well, for this part, that's this person over here that you've never met. So I'm going to bring them in because then it's sort of you're handing them off. Their walls are going to go up and it sort of sends that message that you can't handle it or that it's something that's a bigger deal than it actually is or, or that sort of thing. So I think it's a really important consideration for folks. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of touched on one other thing that I feel very strongly about is this idea of CS enablement. I mm. think it's another trend that's starting to evolve. I'm hoping it continues to get more momentum, but this idea of we can't just roll out sales training and say this works for everybody, right? Like yes. the way that sales is going to go into a negotiation with a prospect that they're trying to get to be a new logo is very different than how you want to approach a renewal conversation where the focus is, you know, long-term mutual benefit, long-term growth, keeping the customer. You can't come in adversarial, right? Like it, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not a good negotiation strategy. Um, and just being able to kind of tweak some of that learning. You know, I think another example is when you, you know, get to a renewal, you can't talk in generics, right? It can't be like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, many of our customers use us for this, or, you know, generally people see these results, like, no, like, what are the results this company has had in using your tool, right? So yes. I think that there are these specific ways that we need to tailor enablement for CS, rather than just kind of saying, hey, we've rolled it out to sales, CS, you're welcome to sit in on the training. Couldn't agree more. I think that's something that just broadly in life, people need to adopt more is be specific. <laughs> I think too much we talk in generalities and it's so difficult. I was actually speaking with a leader recently at a, a, another tech company and they were saying that the only articles they will click on or the only things, the content that they'll digest or even or spend the, day, the time of day on is stuff that's like how this, com this person at this company did this thing. And it's like very specific. They won't click on anything that's why you should this or my mm. thoughts on that. Like there's a lot of that in the space and it's not helpful. So I yeah. think to some degree, maybe it is if it's a really refreshing opinion or really unique, like not to say that that stuff doesn't have its time and place, but I think overall get specific, as specific as you possibly can, as much as you can. And the results are always that much better, whether it's CSing or writing. Today's show is brought to you by Catalyst Software, the fastest growing customer success platform on the market. Catalyst gives you unmatched customizability, a seamless bi-directional Salesforce integration that takes less than five minutes to set up, and a world-class customer success team that'll be by your side every step of the way. Let's be honest, whatever you're currently using might be good enough, but is good enough really what you're aiming for? Take your CS team to the next level by switching to Catalysts today. To learn more, visit Catalyst.io. And if you aren't looking for a CS platform right now, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn anyways. I make daily memes, we host all sorts of events, and we love to give away our swag, which has been called the comfiest swag in the industry. Again, check out Catalyst.io to learn more. And speaking of uh, advice for people, you are also a coach in our coaching corner. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about was career paths and sort of developing as we're talking about these skills now. So I know that in another podcast, you mentioned that when you're hiring, you focus on core competencies that'll make people great for a role. Sounds like you have some very specific opinions on what those competencies are. So I'm curious what they are for CSMs and how those sort of translate into the CSM career path. Yes, I'm a big fan or proponent of using competencies. One of the things that we've done at our company is really clearly outlined them. And in order to do that, we looked at our existing job description. We looked at people who were excelling in the role. We looked at people who hadn't excelled in the role um, mm -hmm. to kind of know like, you know, what's the shiny example? What's the, you know, cautionary example? 
and through that started to really understand, you know, what are those key skill sets that are really relevant to our role? Again, it's going to depend on that, like YCS, right? What are those core focuses that this team is going to do and be measured against? And for us, we own revenue and we own renewals and upsell. So that uh, negotiation piece um, and being able to create that long-term strategic customer relationship becomes one of our competencies, right? So having someone who is really conflict averse or doesn't feel comfortable having you know, that sort of money conversation, they're probably not going to work well in our environment just because of, you know, what the role entails. You know, our product is relatively technical and our team is mostly business focused, right? So we're not getting in the weeds with the technical, we're not writing code or doing configurations, but you have to understand how the different pieces fit together. So sometimes that's external curiosity by having the customer expand more. Sometimes that's knowing like, hey, let's save that question for internal um, and get some of that context so that you don't lose some of that credibility with the customer. Um, So some of it is is balancing that piece. There's the stuff that you can train and the stuff that you can't train. And that's a lot of what we try and look for through the interview process is some of those skills that are a lot harder to train because I have product videos for days, right? Like, I don't need you to know our background and too much about the technology. I want you to be able to learn it. So, you know, the ability to learn is definitely something that we consider. Yeah, I'm not looking for people who are already industry experts. I've got training on that, but it's a lot harder to your point to train on ownership, right? You kind of got it or you don't. I, yeah, I was going to mention before the the thing I was going to say is I used to work at a health tech company and the amount of times I had to pretend to know what I was talking about or pretend that I understood what other people in the room were talking about, because it'd be me and a bunch of heart surgeons. And they're talking about <laughs> medications and procedures and all this stuff. And uh-huh, uh-huh. Like just the nodding, smiling, Googling things on my laptop during the meeting so that I yep. can contribute one line to the conversation so that they think I know what I'm talking about. That was that was my daily reality for a good four years. So I can re- I can personally attest to the fact that you can learn the industry stuff as far as you need to, to maintain credibility. But a lot of those skills, the, the softer skills were ones that, actually, this is a perfect segue. A lot of my softer skills came from mentorship and having people who helped guide me on and advise me on how to negotiate and how to um, build relationships and that sort of thing. So perfect segue into our mentorship program. Uh, as I mentioned, you're a coach in our coach, coaching corner. So uh, let's start with being on the mentee side. If you're a mentee, or wanting to be mentored, how can you make the most, or how do you advise people who are looking for that to make the most of those opportunities, be it through the Catalyst Coaching Corner or through a different mentorship program? So I would say I am a, hopefully a decent coach. I am not a very good mentee. Um, and okay. I've learned this about myself. Well, you've high marks on self-awareness already. So. <laughs> and I think it really comes down to the fact that I probably overthink and I try to find like, how am I going to so critically maximize this time with the person? And I think mm-hmm. that that's important, but I also think that you probably need to allow some flexibility of, you know, organic conversation that does come up or, you know, hey, you brought up this one thing. It uh, kind of leads me to this other topic. Uh, I'm very much a planner. And so uh, sometimes that that becomes a little a little too rigid. 
Um, but from participating in the coaching corner and kind of working with some of the mentees, I've really seen, you know, people, I'd say like knock it out of the park in terms of, of being a great mentee. And I think the first part is knowing what you want out of it, right? So what are you trying to work on? I think in some of my earlier uh, mentee-mentor relationships, I would come to someone and say, teach me what you know. And <laughs> that's really generic. It's a little broad. It's a little broad. And, you know, to the point where uh, I was going to someone's office and, you know, she's like, I, I mean, I don't have like any more training papers that I can show you. Like, what are your questions? And so that was kind of an awakening moment for me of like, I can't just like absorb what people are, have top of their mind that they think I should know. Like I've got to come with a little bit more sense of direction of, you know, where are my gaps and what am I trying to learn or focus on or get feedback on? Uh, so I think that that's one piece. And then um, I would say the other piece is really using current challenges. So I was working with a coach last year great person and everything else. But I think I, the first few sessions that I had, I didn't maximize that time because I kept things relatively generic and it was like, oh yeah, like in this sort of situation or this is kind of happening. You know, I learned in kind of the, the second half of our time together that I really needed to get more specific. So it was mm -hmm. like, okay, what's a current challenge? Uh, what's the specific situation that's happening what are the alternatives that I'm measuring? Because then you can actually have a real conversation. For me, it was a lot more helpful to get in the weeds and be able to leave that session with better thought or an action plan rather than just kind of this theory that, you know, in this general situation, you could maybe do this, right? Like it just, it wasn't helpful right. for me to feel like I left with anything as concrete. So I would say those are the two things that really stand out to me of, you know, when people are taking advantage of a mentor-mentee relationship successfully. I love the tie-in, the good callback to our specific discussion, right? Get specific <laughs> all yeah. the time, everywhere. Like it's it's the biggest thing with, I mean, I've had so many conversations, I'm sure you have, have, have as well, where it's, how can I be a better CSM? Like someone comes to you and asks you, you know, I want to be a great CSM. How, like, what, what should I do? I'm like, I, you got to give me some like <laughs> exactly there's so many aspects of that so then it's up to then 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 you're basically wasting time with your coach because then they have to ask you a series of questions to further flesh out what it is what aspect and all these different things versus you know how refreshing is it when someone comes to you and is like you know I'm having this problem with a client where they are they're saying this I'm saying this this is my goal like do you have any ideas on how I can get them from A to B now your conversation can be that much richer but I love the comment again on, on, on getting specific. What are, what are some things as a coach that you think that you've, you've found as you've coached other people work really well that other people could, could try out? I would say the, the biggest thing that I try to do, although I'm not always successful at it, is come in with that curiosity and asking questions. I think it's really easy to fall into the trap of, you know, someone coming to you and saying, here's my situation, what would you do? And wanting to jump in and say, here's what I would do. You know, hey, I've been through that situation before. Let me tell you how it worked yes. out. Um, and being able to take that step back and, you know, not only maybe ask for more context, but also ask, you know, what are the alternatives you thought of? And, you know, what would be the impact if you chose, you know, A versus B? 
Uh, I think that that's hugely helpful. And, you know, as I've been trying to be more aware as a coach, I've also seen that uh, in people who, you know, are coaching me is like, hey, I just gave you the challenge and you're not giving me the answer. You're asking me questions. Um, So just creating that awareness, I think, is is helpful both from, you know, a coach perspective, because they might actually give you, you know, different context or other alternatives that you weren't even considering. But it's also so incredibly helpful for uh, that mentee to get pushed a little bit of maybe like, let me think about those alternatives, let me flesh it out a little bit. And it doesn't mean that you as a coach can't offer other feedback, right? If you say, okay, like you thought about A and B, what about C? Like, is that another thing that's a possibility? So it doesn't mean that you can't provide some of your guidance or experience at all. But I think it's knowing when to step back and kind of give them the first right of being able to flush through it. I love that. I think as CS people, we're so we're built to solutionize, if that's a, a word I can mm-hmm. create on the spot. Um, like we're, you know, there's a, someone gives us a problem and it, whatever it is in whatever context, and we immediately want to jump in with three solutions that, that might work. And yeah. I think it's such an important thing to remember that point about, you know, not just in coaching but with customers. I mean, I used to do that all the time too, right? Like it's sometimes it's better to, before you jump in with the solution, listen, ask more questions, really make sure you understand it. And in a coaching situation, how much more powerful is it when the mentee comes up with a solution themselves because you've just been a sounding board for them versus, you know, you saying, here's what you should go do, A, B, C, and then they write down, they go do it. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it's just that much better, right? When they come up with their own thing and the power was in you all along, you know, it's, it's very Wizard of Oz, but you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it gives them then the confidence of, hey, I got to that solution last time, you know, next time either this situation, a similar situation comes up, like, I know I can do it, right? It's also building that bridge to the future. I want to ask you a couple of questions about Fastly before we run out of time. This is flying by. Um, But Fastly recently acquired Signal Sciences, uh, which is a web app security company back in October, and you were the integration lead. Was managing something like that a new experience for you? Was that or have you done that before? It was a completely new experience. I'm extremely lucky uh, to have gotten the experience. It was very much, as you just said, Wizard of Oz, right? Being able to see a little bit behind the curtain of all of the different pieces that take place. And my focus was primarily on the post-sales world, specifically around uh, customer success and how we communicated the merger with the customers and kind of moved Mm. everyone onto... um, you know, a, a post-sales support model, but even being aware of all the different discussions that were going on, right? Stuff that I didn't necessarily consider, but, you know, the company that we acquired, they had their own computers, they had to get new computers, they had to get access to all these different right. systems, right? It's all that stuff that happens in the background that takes time and you, you know, not being kind of in the room talking and thinking about it, you tend to forget um, or you tend to not get exposure to. And I thought that it was really interesting because it just helps give me a framework that, you know, when we're working with a customer who gets acquired or is acquiring another company, Mm. I think immediately our thought goes to, okay, how's this going to impact me? Right? Like if you are using us and you're, you know, now merging company uses somebody else, like, 
are we going to win? Are they going to win? And I feel like you immediately want to get the answer. Mm -hmm. There's typically not an immediate answer. Like everybody's still figuring it out. And so even just getting some of that context to have some of that empathy of like, there's a lot of changes going on and you're not going to know everything from day one. And how do we then, you know, support them as they go through that evolution, um, I think is, is really important. So it's been a, a really fun exercise in just, yeah, getting kind of the enlightenment around the whole process, um, all of the different components and the amount of time it takes. It's not a two week thing and, you know, everybody's good to go. Um, There's lots of different steps and uh, lots of different pieces of the organization that get impacted. Definitely. But, but what a cool experience. And, and I mean, even in terms of relating to future customers, being able to say, Hey, I've, I've been there, I've done it. Can I help you? You know, I know how difficult this process is. Like that gives you a new level of empathy, relatability, tactical advice you can now impart onto your future customers when they go through acquisitions and mergers. So really cool that you were able to get that opportunity. Was that something you like raised your hand for and were like, pick me? Or was it like a, Emily, we want you to take this on out of nowhere. And you just kind of went along with it and ended up loving it. Kind of more the shoulder tap approach. So, you know, I didn't know about the announcement until it was public. Few people did because, you know, you've got a public company, you got to keep things under wraps, all that good stuff. But I think it ties back to the idea of continually uh, communicating and sharing with your leadership, just the skills that you want to build and the types of opportunities that you want to get exposed to. And, you know, not that I specifically said, Hey, if we ever go through a merger, I want to be part of it, but you know, I mean, or I would be a really good fortune teller. Um, <laughs> it's career think, change right now. Yeah, exactly. But I think just, you know, continuing to have that conversation and I'll, I'll go off slightly similar topic. Um, but I think it's just, it, it's having those career conversations. Um, and I think that when people hear the word career conversation, they go to, you know, what's my next title. And Mm. from my perspective, career conversation really should focus around like, where are my gaps and skills and how can I get, uh, either exposure to practice that more or to learn more about it? Like for me, career development is really, how do I continue to add to my toolbox, um, that sort of analogy. Ultimately, like, yes, that should lead to maybe a a different title or scope of work or whatever else. Uh, But I think being open to growing that skill set through different experiences and being able to communicate, you know, here's where I just haven't had the opportunity to learn or the exposure, right? Maybe it's, hey, I've only worked with uh, medium-sized companies. So, if a large enterprise uh, gets closed and, you know, we don't have the capacity to cover it with our large CSM group, like I would love to have that opportunity. You know, I think it's just it being able to understand skills and experiences that you have and then communicate that to your manager um, and then allowing them to kind of figure out the time and place of how to give you that exposure. Uh, for any CSMs listening, that was fantastic advice. Go to your manager if you want. I think it's such a good, I mean, because how often does that happen, right? Like there's a client that, you know, be, there isn't capacity for, or maybe they're not in your segment. But if your boss knows that you're a CSM and maybe you're a junior CSM, but you want to take on an enterprise client or something like that, if you've been vocal about that, you're going to be the first person they go to. So even if it's not on the horizon, there's never uh, a downside to letting them know. 
um, yeah. as long as you know that's what you want to do next. Awesome. Well, I think uh, the the last and, and most important thing I wanted to to ask you about. We're we're now I want to say exactly halfway through the year, but I'm probably a few days off. At the start of the year, you shared your your 21, 2021 CSM resolution. So I want to check in on two to see how you're doing. I want to get out of the weeds. Was your quote? So how are you balancing that with your your long term strategy? How is it going getting out of the weeds? It's hard. Uh, and you have to be honest uh yeah it i mean it is hard and i think part of it is just my journey at fastly so i started the cs org and i was really in that player coach role so i was building the organization but i was actually working with a couple customers directly to help pilot and really test out um, ideas and how we wanted to build our playbooks and you know as the team has continued to grow and i've continued to grow it's really being able to take a step back and consciously being able to take that step back. Um, I got really good advice from someone that said, you know, at some point you just have to say, I don't know, even if you know how to do it, you can't become that go-to resource. And Mm -hmm. so I've been really trying to actively think about, you know, how do I empower other people? How do I connect, you know, one CSM to maybe a more senior CSM or, Mm -hmm. you know, when the question pops up in Slack, like, I've got to give that, you know, 30 minutes, an hour before I respond. Let Um, someone else answer it. Let somebody, give somebody else the opportunity to. And as I've grown within the organization, I've also, you know, gotten involved in, in different things at different levels. And so I'm not the best resource to say, like, how do you navigate, you know, to pull all this up in Salesforce? Like, that's, I've just gotten less day-to-day exposure with that. So I'm probably not the best resource, but I would say it's hard. And I think that the other piece is building the right team. You know, one of my direct reports who manages a team, she's been amazing at managing up. And we've kind of gotten to a really good cadence and understanding of, you know, here's the type of information that I want at what sort of cadence. So being clear about that to her allows her the autonomy to run her team. But she also knows like, okay, when this sort of thing comes up, like I've got to flag it because I know Emily's going to want to know more information, be involved, whatever else it is. So being really clear with the people that you're working with on the expectations that you have and where you want to get plugged in or get context, I feel like is, has been really helpful. Listeners take one thing away from this podcast, be specific, every, every (laughs) opportunity, be specific. Um, And then your second CSM resolution. I will create a consistent story across the company. Uh, obviously, really critical thing to be doing. How are you bringing CS to the center at Fastly and creating a consistent story across the company? So I think that CS really has to be the storyteller. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit before, right? Of everybody's own work is their focus, and mm-hmm. you know we've got to make sure that we're broadcasting our wins and helping to connect the dots across the company, and really not only for you know kind of showcasing the good work that we're doing, but also allowing other people and other groups to really understand how they're impacting the customer or can impact the customer. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I've Uh, learned over the last handful of years is really thinking about, you know, depending on the information that you're trying to get across and, you know, kind of the, the context, you know, how fast things are moving is really evaluating, you know, when is this something that you share one-on-one 
versus mm -hmm. you just introduce it in a group setting. You know, sometimes you need to get allies on board, especially uh, for things like change management, where you can't just roll it out in a group and kind of do a mic drop and say, all right, we're good. Um, yep. You've got to like, you know, get people on board early. You've got to, you know, make sure that you're giving them a forum to give feedback, especially on something that's going to impact them or significantly change their world or how they work with your world. So I think that that has been huge in storytelling is uh, just making sure that you're getting people on board throughout the entire process. And then I think it's also aligning with key stakeholders on what metrics matter, right? Yeah. So if I'm telling a story about we're seeing, you know, customers who've only been with us eight months, um, but they're only using, you know, these features, like they're probably not going to renew. But again, it's, okay, well, you know, what, what metrics are we trying to drive? Maybe we're talking about churn numbers or net retention numbers and figuring out like, what is that terminology? How do we measure that metric in a way that now when I tell the story, it resonates with you and you say, oh, like, I understand why you say that's a problem. Let's talk about how we can create a resolution. So just making sure that you are not just talking in B, uh, BS, CS, uh, <laughs> but uh, really talking. Freudian slip. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, talking how, you know, to your point earlier, uh, kind of in that agreed upon business term language that your company is using. Amazing. Awesome advice. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, this was so much fun. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. It's great for my self-esteem. Thanks for joining us. And if you'd like to learn more about Catalyst, visit catalyst.io. P.S. I love you. <laughs>